Hey, everybody. You know, Mark and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, heal betrayal trauma, and reclaim your relationship. And we've poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and the tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you've done on your journey for healing and recovery, you've never done anything like this. You know, Mark and I, we've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. Don't reinvent the wheel. We all know tomorrow never comes. Look, don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSE Squared Podcast. Hey, everybody, Mark and Steve here with you on the PBSE podcast. So we got a a really raw, uh, honest, raw, authentic, uh, wasn't really a question. It was more like sort of a mini novel Mm. (laughs) from a recent PBSE (laughs) listener. And uh, she was really, really open. And we appreciate that, uh, that vulnerability that she showed. So she's in a relationship. <clears throat> where her partner is manifesting some really, uh, we would call it acute forms of acting out. Some really, you know, not just pushing the edge, going beyond the edge sexual behaviors. A lot of it uh, is self-sex. You know, he's engaging in a lot of different masturbatory behaviors and so forth and involving objects and, you know, different kinds of risky behaviors and some pretty, you know, some pretty extreme stuff. To the point of causing safety issues for her. Like and also, phys- yes. Like physical safety issues. Yes, stuff, causing yeah. safety issues for her. Absolutely. And after expressing all of that in a really raw and vulnerable way, she asked a really good question. It's like, what is this all about? <laughs> mm. Why is he doing this? Why would he engage in behaviors like this that are so destructive and damaging to our relationship, both to 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 him and me physically, but also, you know, emotionally, relationally? spiritually mm-hmm. why would he do these kinds of things and she was just really perplexed and trying to understand how that could happen and so today we wanted to to talk about what we call the arousal template yeah and this is a so let's just say right up front this is a really complex issue and there's yeah. no way that we're going to hit all the all of the nuances and details of this in you know 15 or 20 minutes but hopefully we can hit some of the basics that will help you to gain some understanding of this from two standpoints. One, if you're a person who's 
you're noticing that you are pushing the envelope with regard to these sexual behaviors, and you're wondering what kind of an impact that is having, and if maybe you need to reassess and really look at that closely, or if you're in a, in a relationship with somebody who's pushing those those boundaries, so you know, getting outside the healthy, you know, the healthy the healthy places. So let's uh, let's just dive right into this. Mm. So arousal template for me, what that basically means, if you look at the, we often talk about the limbic system, uh, you know, the fight, flight, or freeze, the pleasure center, the reward system of the brain. And basically an arousal template means uh, what turns me on, what arouses me sexually. And probably very importantly, where did that come from? Mm. How did I develop my arousal template in the first place? Yeah. And this is where the complexity comes in. So some of it is genetic. If some of you are familiar with the the field of epigenetics, we know that we can pass on genetic tendencies, even in this arena, to our offspring. Yeah. There's a lot of studies showing that. Uh, there's There's different biological factors. There's all kinds of things that happen in the womb. Uh, there's the way we're raised, what is modeled to us by the people that raise us, mm-hmm. uh, parents, uh, siblings, peers, especially, right? We joke about, you know, I remember the grade school playground for me and all these really, what we thought were really sophisticated discussions about sexual issues is, you know, these grade school kids, <laughs> it's just crazy, you know, <laughs> kids just being really crazy and rude and ridiculous. Yeah. But all of these things come to play in this whole, this entire process. So we're not, we, we're not going to get into all of that because man, that would just be hours and hours of, of discussion. What we want to focus in on is while, while all of that, while much of that is beyond your control, I mean, let's, let's just say it, you know, everything that we do sexually or the attitudes or, or behaviors or tendencies that we have are not, quote, entirely our fault. I like to call it mm. the grand setup. Yeah. From genetic and from influence. And I mean, just think, for example, just think of how many sexualized images you have seen in your lifetime through mm. advertisements, through media, movies, you know, people's endless. discussion. Uh, endless, right? I mean, it's, I don't know. Is it in the millions? From the time you're a little tiny <laughs> kid, you know, your mom's pushing you in the shopping cart past the magazine, you know, magazines at the checkout counter and all the objectification that that was seen there, you know, I'm two years old and I'm already seeing it. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on with that. But what we want to focus in on today is what about, what about the behaviors that I choose to engage in today? What are the things that I'm, that I'm choosing to involve myself in sexually, either by myself or with others or digitally, you know, the whole pornography scene, what kind of an impact does that have? Yeah. And does it matter? A lot of people say, oh, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're consenting and you choose to do it, it's, you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat is perfectly fine and okay. And, and that worries me a lot in the work that I do, because it almost sounds a lot of voices out there say that there are no consequences. There are no outcomes. There are no results. And when it comes to the arousal template, that's just simply not true. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I, I'll often tell clients, be very, very careful what you masturbate or have sex and climax to, because climax is the, probably the most powerful biological reward that the body can experience. 
And whatever you tie that to or connect that reward to is going to become very ingrained and deeply entrenched in your, in your arousal template system. So kind of with that intro, um, Steve, take yeah. it away. <laughs> Steve, under the bus you go. Yep, um, drop the bomb. Now you deal with it. That's right. Uh, so n- no, I, I mean it's a good it's a good topic, and it's one we've touched on before in prior podcasts, but we haven't spent a a great deal of time on. So I'm glad we're talking about it today because it is complex. You know the the latest research. You know, like Mark indicated. You know, we often get the question. You know, is this a nature thing? Is this a nurture thing? Meaning, was it, you know, genetics and, you know, factors that completely operate outside of, you know, my experiences, or is it a nurture thing? And the latest research that I have seen, and, and by the way, that is ongoing, right? There's no, I don't, I don't think anybody pretends to be an, an exact authority on exactly how this stuff develops. No. Uh, but the answer to that is that it's probably a mix of both. At mm-hmm. least that's what my experience has been. Um, and we do know for sure that, that there is a nurture or a nurture component to it because the arousal template is malleable is what we call it. It, it does change yes. and does alter over time and is for better or for worse and can be used to actually explain a lot of the, the conditions that our listener might have brought up. Uh, one of the other things that she brought up as well was, was uh, her partner struggles with erectile dysfunction. And that is a huge component of the arousal template and a huge culprit in playing a role in that for guys who are addicted to pornography or compulsive sex. So, um, yeah. That, so question number one is, can it change? Yes, it can. Um, and, and, and the good news is, is that the arousal template can, oh gosh, what would be the best term to put the sex? This is hard to talk about in such a short amount of time. I know, right? You know, even though we can alter it through extreme or recurrent sexual experiences, um, it does also have the capacity to, I guess, revert back to whatever that original component, whatever that looks like originally for a person or authentically for a person. The best way to describe this nebulous thing in the brain is to really call it, refer to it as your sexual authenticity, mm. right? Yeah. If I've, if I've stripped away addiction and compulsion and all this other stuff, right? What deep down am I attracted to on a sexual level? And that's just like in any other area of authenticity, right? If I pull back the trauma, if I pull back uh, past betrayals, if I pull back, you know, recurrent compulsive sexual experiences, and I'm able to strip all that away, what is left? And that and that thing is the thing that we're kind of talking about today. So uh, definitely changeable, definitely malleable. Next question we usually get is, how does this happen? Well, kind of like Mark indicated, right? It, it is malleable primarily through the various experiences that we have, not just sexually, but I would argue emotionally as well. Yeah. Um, right. We gravitate. Healthy sexuality always is is led out by 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 an emotional state as well. It isn't just strictly a question of you know what physically turns me on in terms of hair color or body type or whatever the case may be. There's a huge emotional component that goes into that as well, and 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 for better or for worse. I'll give you an example. I, I've worked, I worked with a woman once who had a formerly abusive partner with red hair, completely unattractive to men with red hair going forward. Mm, yes. Right? Uh, man, that emotional state, that emotional experience that she had completely averted her to, to being able to even date men that had red hair. It was too intrusive for her. She was able to do a lot of good work around it and get to a healthy place where she wasn't like hating men with red hair but she really struggled to find herself to 
even begin to trust or be vulnerable with someone. It was just too triggering for her. Yeah. So, and we, and you know, the other thing about this is that uh, it, because it's such a complicated thing with not just the physical, but the emotional as well, is that you never know where this is going to take you. Sure. Uh, I like to say that it, it kind of knows no boundaries. Yeah. Uh, in many ways, it also can be, re, can be referred to as insatiable. It's not going to be satisfied. That reward system, if you start pushing the boundaries and you start getting involved in a lot of these, you know, these different, different uh, approaches and pursuits, because what you're doing currently has become, quote, boring. Now you're going to push the envelope and look for ways to up the novelty, to up the excitement, to up the danger, to up the risk. Yeah. to, 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 To make it more bizarre and unusual. And we see that a lot. And this is where we see the development, for example, of fetishes. Uh, I had a client many years ago who people would consider this to be really bizarre if you don't understand the arousal template. His whole his whole big challenge were, was doorknobs, of all things. You're like doorknobs. Yes, doorknobs were really the center place of his sexual arousal template of his of his fantasy and and struggles. You think, well, how could that be? Well, what happened is when he was a little kid, he lived in a very stressful home environment. And it just so happened that one day he happened to think he was running around, you know, naked as little kids will do. And he had, he had rubbed his genitals up against the doorknob and it felt good. And he, he had a climax and one, and it soothed him. And here's the big key. It soothed him. It was, he felt better in the midst of emotional, you know, chaos and threat and then he started after that point to go to that place again and again as a way to self-soothe and escape and feel better. And mm-hmm. over years and years, his arousal template became wired around doorknobs. Mm. And clear into his adult life, it now became his obsession. And he just, yeah. every time he would see a doorknob, he would, he would trigger his arousal template and have enormous difficulty. And then in in addition to that, he wasn't able to become aroused or uh, to become erect when he would be in a normal, uh, a normal human relationship. It's like, yeah, the only thing that does it for me is doorknobs. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty extreme example, but that's a good example of how this works, how we develop these arousal template situations. No, absolutely. It's a great example. And uh, yeah, the, again, there is far too much complexity, right, to cover this in, in totality today. Uh, but we do want everybody to be walking away with a basic understanding of how this looks and, and, you know, what causes this and, you know, how can we change this for the quote unquote better or quote unquote worse, mm-hmm. right? Um, going back to our, our clients uh, or not client, uh, rather our listeners question, right? And with this is one we get a lot. You know, is, is our questions around this erectile dysfunction concept. Just like anything else we discuss on the podcast, there are there are many things that can lead to erectile dysfunction. And oftentimes it's a lot of, uh, it's a combination of a lot of things. But the arousal template does play a huge role in this as well. Um, specifically, if we look at, oh, how would I try to, how would I try to say this? If, if we're looking at compulsive sexual experiences. So the, the easiest one to talk about, probably the most popular one for our listeners is going to be pornography right? Pornography doesn't just create an unnatural and synthetic sexual experience. It over time actually will, just like any other sexual experience, begin to alter thoughts, concepts, and perceptions about what is arousing, both emotionally as well as physically, Mm -hmm. right? It's no secret that 
the vast majority, if not all of, I would probably say all of the porn out there is, is highly synthetic, highly airbrushed, right? From a physical standpoint, lots of alteration. There's very little naturalness going on either in behavior or in what's, what are the people involved? And emotionally it's been stripped away of, of everything that, that accompanies a normal, healthy sexual relationship or a northy, normal, healthy, intimate relationship. And so when we start to engage and associate our brain with what is with a new norm, so to speak, right? Meaning, meaning what I see portrayed in pornography, both emotionally and sexually and otherwise, I, I, I can absolutely desensitize myself to what we would say, what we refer to as everyday normal, quote unquote, sex, mm, right? Yes actual physical engagement with a real person in real time who does carry right uh, an emotional history with you right who does have hopes and dreams and other elements to their personality other than just wanting to have sex right to somebody who sometimes is not in the mood versus is right i work with a lot of guys who really struggle i mean this is it's really sad but i've worked with a, lo a lot of guys especially single men who haven't been in serious relationships where they inevitably, when they enter into one, are incredibly disappointed because they've been sort of taught to believe that, you know, a happy wife is going to be one that's going to want to have sex 12 times a day all the time, which is not the case in the vast majority of, of marriages or relationships, right? Sex is just one component among many, as we oftentimes talk, so, as, as we often talk about, that forms a healthy sense of sexual or, or of intimacy. Pornography teaches us, among many other things, that it's the sole indicator. Right. This is how you gauge a relationship. Your relationship is great if you're doing all sorts of crazy out there stuff. Your relationship sucks if you're just, you know, having quote unquote good old fashioned sex, unquote. Um, and I, so, yeah, it's complicated. I, I work with a lot of guys when we first start working together, they'll say, My wife just isn't sexual. She's just sure. not into sex. She yeah. Just, she just doesn't feel the same way about it that I do. And in nearly all of those cases where guys make that comment, they have all had their sex, their arousal templates altered through many years or decades of pornography use and other, other dysfunctional, unhealthy sexual outlets. So they're coming from a place where they're judging the relationship based on a skewed, a skewed perspective or, or skewed paradigm. And so part of what we, you know, as we kind of finish up here, how do you come out of this? It can the arousal template be rewired can it can it be changed can it be altered and the the absolute unequivocal answer to that is yes 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 mm -hmm. <laughs> and how do i know because i had one of the most altered arousal templates you can imagine through decades and decades of of deep addiction that started when i was a kid mm -hmm. and yeah. today i would have to tell you i think i have a pretty healthy arousal template Mm, so it yeah. can be rewired. And the way that I have found for myself and those I work with that that happens, first of all, you have to begin to, you have to have a separation from the behaviors that are rewiring you. You need, you need, you need, we could call it a sexual fasting. We could call it a, a an abstinence period. We call it, you need a good period of sobriety. You need to give your brain a break. And as you're doing that, you also begin to engage in authentic, holistic connection. Yes. You start to experience what it means to actually be wholly connected to another human being 
in place of, or in addition to this, this old body parts focused, you know, toys, techniques, you know, bizarre behaviors, you have to separate yourself from that to some extent and start to experience what real human connection looks like. Mm-hmm. You gotta kind of put yourself out there and, and be authentic and dare to show your, your deep down emotions, to show yourself, to be seen and to see. That is, I would say that's the biggest component along with sobriety to starting to rewire. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and this rewiring, right, can be destructive, as you can imagine, in all sorts of relationships. Oh, yeah. Because as we talk about, right, once this arousal template becomes sufficiently altered, for example, in a pornographic synthetic way, on the surface, I will validate, you know, what I often hear from clients. The real world, if you'd strip away everything else, real quote unquote sex simply can't ever compete with that. It was never meant to because it's, again, a dressed up synthetic, stripped away version of intimacy. That, that, level, of, that level of engagement will never be reality, right? The more we become addicted to the unreal, the less our capacity to, to connect with the real is. And we, and we set ourselves, ourselves up for an unrealistic expectation. Oh, yeah. If you have absolutely. that very narrow focus, you're never going to, to keep, you know, keep up with it, to keep it exciting and novel and new and all the rest. And even worse, you're, you're setting your partner up where they can never compete. Yes. They can never measure up. They can never be enough if that's what you're measuring them against. And never should. And, and, should. and we, and we can tell you categorically, we work with too many women. I mean, of all the things that I hear from the women that I work with, it really does break my heart and well up some, some anger for me. Um, when I talk to wives who from a well-intentioned place have compromised their sexual authenticity in all sorts of ways to try to compete with this, mm. right? Engage, giving up and setting aside their authenticity, whether it's in sexual frequency or behaviors or involving pornography in their relationship, which by the way, I will say in my not so humble opinion is never in a million years okay. Um, and when you, when you look at, at this, you know, from a, like Mark said, from a holistic global perspective, um, there is, and, and, and you add on Mark and I's experience, as we say often on here, it will, to you addicts out there who are caught in this, no matter what your brain tells you, it will never be enough. It just won't. You, you are going, addiction by definition is trying to, it's spending a lifetime trying to jam a round peg into a square hole. It's never, ever going to fit and fill the void of connection lacking for you and what you are what you are truly really craving deep down in a sufficient way. And the more you engage with it, the more distance you will become from your partner as a result and from yourself and from your higher power and from really people in general. Um, and the really great news in this, if, if I look at the ways that my arousal template has changed over the years and the decades, one of the things that I have noticed that is so, I thought this was impossible when I was deep in my addiction that one day I would get to the place where sex was not at the top of my priority list. And in fact, where I could honestly in my heart say, it's entirely optional. There's so many other aspects of the relationship I have with my wife, for example, that are so deep and rich and so so diverse that the sex is wonderful and it's great, but it isn't the be-all, end-all. And quite frankly, if it doesn't happen for some reason during a period very often, 
I don't really feel a big, a big void that's left sure. because the rest of the connection is so awesome. Yeah. That's absolutely. a rewiring. Cause I would have told you decades ago, you're insane. I will never <laughs> get to that. This is all, this is it. Sure. And it's just not true, but you can't get there if you continue to engage in a very myopic, narrowed focus on, on the physical and on the novel and the bizarre and the stretching the envelope and pushing the boundaries. You can't get to this place we're talking about. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Completely agree. Well, as always, time just like flies on yes, these things. It does. Um, there's so much more we could say about this, guys. And, and obviously, this is just a subtopic among many. Um, but we hope that both both you addicts as well as you spouses are able to take something valuable from this today. Maybe a little bit better of understanding of how this works. Hopefully, this will either open a discussion on this topic between the two of you that isn't happening, or maybe it will widen the gap on one that already is. Um, because we can't be transparent enough about these these issues, right? There's there's so many ways to come about this. Um, re, uh, syn- syntheticness. Synthenticity? I don't even know what you'd call it. Synthetic world? (laughs) Synthenticity? I'm going to make it up. Right? The unreal will always, always cause us to connect, disconnect more from the real. The more we connect with the one world, the more we lose connection with the other. And as two guys who have spent a lifetime trying to mesh both into one magical world, um, what do we say on the on the other day on the Dare to Connect program? That's like the unicorn of the of the addict world, right? Something yes. that people often talk about, but at the end of the day, just does not exist. Yep. So anyway, speaking of Dare to Connect, if uh, if you want more in depth help and really want to be with us uh, three times a week where we talk about these issues in in much greater detail, uh, go over to DareToConnectNow.com. And look at our look at our new program. Uh, it's, yeah, we're having a great time doing it, and people are interacting with us, and we would love to see you there. Absolutely. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. Everything expressed on the PBSE podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants, and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.